0: Welcome back. This is Elite Business Live. I'm Ollie Barrett, your co-host. Um, with my mind buzzing with ideas, thanks to Chu Chow, the uh, co-founder and uh, now founder of Mintigo. Uh But here we are. We are live from London. And as if by magic, uh, I'm joined by our brilliant panel. Hello, everybody. Hello. Hi. Very nice to see you. Thank you for being here. Now, that look, I mean, very striking. What <laughs> colour would you say that is? I don't, I don't know, I look like a bit of a bumblebee, I think. Oh, it's wonderful, it's a <laughs> radiant orange, it's amazing. Uh, now, I don't want to jump to conclusions, but I do have a theory, uh, I do have a theory um, that I could be speaking to Victoria Proof. Yes. Has yes, it? good, thank goodness for that. Now, described, by the way, by Forbes magazine as the Airbnb of fashion, that's your business, Her, H-U-R-R, is that right? That is right,
1: yes.
0: Yeah, fantastic. Well, we won't deny that comparison, surely, that's quite a compliment.
1: A big compliment for sure. Now, tell yeah. us and
0: tell our, um, tell our guests uh, about her. Is it, it, peer to peer? We're lending to each other or borrowing from you?
1: Yeah, exactly. So, a bit like Airbnb, but for fashion, rather than listing a house or a flat, you can list your wardrobe. So, we now have a community all across the UK of hundreds of women and thousands of women who make money from their wardrobes. So, we're trying to push a message of investing in quality um, over quantity, actually sharing your wardrobe. And we now also power the fashion rental platforms for 65 brands, lots of contemporary cool fashion brands and Selfridges as well.
0: Wow fantastic and so this is just just for women?
1: At the moment yes we're seeing lots of uh, demand come from men um, so stay tuned we might have something exciting launching soon but at the moment it's majority women's wear.
0: Right well I want to hear the lessons along the way you're sitting next to the very snappily dressed uh, uh, Jay Richards actually uh, very nice to see you Jay how are you? Thank you for having me I'm great thanks. And you're onto a great thing here. How do I pronounce Imagine? Um, imagine, yeah, imagine. Yeah, I've yeah, also because you're working with a very particular community, almost a harvester of great ideas. You're connecting people.
2: Yes, we are. Yeah, yeah. So um, my name is Jay Richards, co-founder of Imagine, and our mission is to help Gen Z to shape their future. And we know the best way for them to do that is with brands because brands shape countries and culture that politicians only could only wish they could. So what we do is we enable agencies and brands to crowdsource feedback, ideas, or insights from our community of Gen Z consultants. So you have about 2,000 of them globally, aged 16 to 26 from everywhere, from India to Nigeria to Manchester. So wow. Super diverse and, yeah, really
0: talented people. Can we come and work with you? Is that all right? Yeah, definitely.
2: Yeah, well, I like. Are you a very secret squirrel about who you
0: work with, or have you got an example for
2: me? Not at all, no. So PepsiCo, eBay, the NFL, um, who we working with last week, Gymshark, um, so yeah, lots of really, really good cool brands. Shark, right.
0: Okay, so give us an example. What have you managed to do for one of them?
2: Um, okay, which ones are we allowed to talk about? So um, eBay came to us and they really wanted to understand what Gen Z think of their brand. Uh-huh. So we went to our community, we asked about 170 of our community to fill in uh, 10 qualitative questions around what they thought of eBay. And one of the key questions was, send us a video if you're brutally honest thoughts about eBay as a brand. So that was really exciting to watch the CMO of eBay just get some really, really good insight from, from the community around Well, I
0: like the sound of that. And I wonder in a minute what Gareth Owen makes of that for some of his clients. But before I get to Gareth, uh, Jenny Young, how lovely to welcome you back, Hi, CMO of Um Thank you very much for joining us back on the Elite Business Live stage.
3: Oh, second time lucky. Very different this time.
0: <laughs> but it is. It is a, there's a certain absence of an (laughs) but it's lovely to see you uh, tuning in tap it i mean what a year you must have had because you're about creating great experiences which traditionally would have been face to face
3: yeah and that's it it's it's been a crazy year so we started off at the beginning of the year because we provide cashless technologies for events and festivals going what on earth is going to happen within six weeks we'd realized that we were part of the solution and people don't want to touch cash anymore and businesses need to become more profitable so it's been a roller coaster but we're seeing some fantastic growth so
0: just 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 of in, in the good times, if I can put it like that, what, what your vision is for Tap it. It, it. It's about a live event experience, but, but you're, you're helping a lot of people.
3: We, we are here to make the live experience better so that fans don't miss a moment. They don't have any cues. They don't have to touch cash and venues and businesses can keep the data and really understand their fans and make it even better. So Love we're it. excited.
0: Love it. Except for those of us who only go to the hot dog stand to escape from the people we were with (laughs) in the first place. We don't talk about that.
3: Can't help you with
0: that. (laughs) but, But it's coming back. Do you see light at the end of the tunnel?
3: Yes. um, We've been working a lot in the States. We've done some major deals with the NFL, Kansas City Chiefs, Jacksonville Jags. They had fans throughout the stadiums, throughout the season, got baseball starting, NBA. So it's great over in the States. And the demand in UK and Europe is is creeping up now with festivals. I
0: like the the fact that Brits are getting on with the NFL. This is great. Touchdown. Right. (laughs) Gareth, good morning. Where are you, Gareth? Good morning. I'm in, I'm in
4: rugby, so I'm smack bang in the middle of the country today.
0: Well, there you go. We'll stay with Funny shape Balls for now, but that is good. All right. And Roast and TP, so TP is the group, but Roast is the agency, have I got that the right way around?
4: Yeah, basically. Roast is performance media agency.
0: Love it. So what sort of organisations do you work with and what do you help them to do?
4: So. It's, it varies a lot. Um, as you can imagine, part of the joy of working for an agency is you work with lots of different types of businesses, anything from family-owned to heavily VC-backed, uh, yeah. you know, the privatized utility companies. Um, and in the main, we try and make sure that, especially online, they're spending their marketing budget in ways that, that provides a return on investment for them. So a lot of search, a lot of social media, some work yeah. on their websites, SEO, etc.
0: Yeah, it's a bit like your favourite child question, but give us the client that excites you because you work with them.
4: Um, that's not easy to say, but um, I'll, I'll go with one that's, that's a fairly recent uh, one, which is UpTime, uh, which is which is an app that allows you to to sort of learn information in bite-sized ways, uh, similar to some other apps that are out there. But it's exciting, it's new, um, and they're getting some great resources and, and a lot of traction.
0: But well, that's what are they called there?
4: sorry that's that's the app is called uptime
0: uptime oh i like the sound of that right we'll check that out okay so my quick fire question and we're going to get into some proper sort of conversation about this but um my first ever job was at walt disney world and they were all about guests uh, i wasn't mickey by the way just that just out of interest uh, goofy actually um <laughs> what is the secret to delighting not because matt phelan yesterday talked about the meh in the middle You know, you've got on an individual level, people who are struggling, people who are having the time of their life, but then there's the meh. And we've all seen organizations who have a lot of customers who feel a bit meh about them. You've had experiences, each and every one of you, where you've delighted a customer. So I want to know the secret to that, and a little example, if you wouldn't mind as well, Chu, I'll start with you. Sure, Uh, it's
5: about setting expectations and just going way beyond that. Ah. So delivering, you know, I think I I remember, so, just connecting with audiences and giving them, sorry, our customers, and giving them more than what they paid for, you know, the support, you know, the little curricula like onboarding them and getting them excited about the program. The,
0: the only challenge on that, and this was something Disney teach all the time, if we over exceed expectation, to what extent do we leave our colleagues and successors with a problem? Because that customer, if we send around the bunch of flowers or the Rolls Royce, will expect that next time. Yep. Can we get too carried away? Oh yeah, all all the time.
5: Uh, I think a a typical example is is, uh, our sales team. They'll promise everything. I'm sure you guys probably felt that way. It's like, okay, can we deliver all this? Yeah, well, we sold it, so
0: you better do it. (laughs) (laughs) So how about about you, Jenny? What's been a wow moment for a customer, and how would you do it?
3: I think it's about imagining better. Um, I think cus- as a, as a customer myself, I anticipate what I want, and I ignore my pain points. I just assume they're part of my pain points, and it's actually thinking about how things can be better. And I think Victoria's business is an uh, amazing example in terms of the fact that would I think about renting clothes? Probably not. But actually, having that opportunity to have something like that, it suddenly sort of changes your mindset. Mindset. And I think in terms of what we provide at Tap It, it's about helping people realize the pain points, the queuing, those kind of things. Just taking that away from people just helps make the experience better. And then to enable businesses to understand their fans and what they do and what they like and making that communication really slick just helps the experience become incredible and it just has to be simple it's just about connecting needs and then going one step beyond it doesn't have to be absolutely amazing what you do it's just taking away something that makes life a little bit yuck little
0: yeah bit now that makes good sense to me so so jay i don't know how you're going to tackle this is it how you delight your clients how you see your clients delight their customers what's your top lesson yes yeah, a good
2: question i think um is the, they're both one and the same so we always encourage our, our clients to actually talk to gen z because a lot of the time we make assumptions about what what, what people may want. And to just make.
0: remind us, because we go down Sesame Street, get our alphabet the wrong way around. But <laughs> Gen Z, give us the frame. Just remind us.
2: So Gen Z are the youngest are seven or eight years old, and the oldest are twenty six.
0: Twenty six. So yeah, very yeah, similar yeah. to my age. Okay. <laughs> sort of.
2: Yeah. So really close to you. And um, so the great thing is, is that because we're always encouraging our clients to have those conversations with Gen Z to understand what they want, so that understand what their pain points are. As Jenny was saying, so that then they can then solve those pain points. It's exactly the same thing we do for our clients. We're going to them and going, what what are your pain points? What, what are the things that are really niggling at you with regards to Gen Z? Because they're quite an unknown generation type thing. So enabling them to see what that is. And then similar to what we were saying a second ago, just trying to go over and above. And we did this other day and kind of shot ourselves on the foot. We delivered um, 80 insights within an hour for a client. And then they were like, oh, cool. So next time we do this, we'll expect the same speed, but it's about managing those expectations yeah. and being like, hey, it can take up to 72 hours, but
0: um, we can do it quicker if we need to. Got it, because actually, Victoria, I suppose if you think about the Rolls Royce treatment, you want to scale what you're doing, so you don't want to get ahead of yourself on pace, you fall over. How do you wow your customer?
1: Yeah, it's an incredibly difficult thing to do. Our hardest, biggest challenge at her is getting someone to rent a dress for the first time, like you just mentioned. Um, and we know, and we have a super high repeat. Once they, you know, they come back once they've rented once. Um, there are a number of ways we do it. We always personalize and write a handwritten note in mm-hmm. every rental that goes out, which probably most management would think was a bit of a faff and a massive time sink on company mm-hmm. time. And um, for us, especially as an early stage, we're only three and a half years old, and early stage business is absolutely crucial. Um, and then we also have a physical pop up as well. So we're we're really interested in the idea blending the offline and the online um, and we had a, a recent example pre, pre-lockdown pre of a bride who came into our pop-up to rent an outfit and had been following us online she's the gen z the millennial and our user base is definitely majority gen z and millennial oh. and her mum came in to rent a dress too um, and 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 it was the first time we ever did a mother of the bride rental and i think yeah. just goes to show that if you can actually create something that, that's for a certain group of people actually it can be a much broader thing longer and, and,
0: term. and did that mother-daughter moment to what extent did you think, you know, that that's a lovely outlier and a great story by the way. Or maybe we need to broaden our sights. Maybe we need to reimagine our customer.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, so off the back of that, I, I we had a big discussion it um, in in the office about like you know we have lots of cool contemporary fashion brands, Rickso London, Ganni. These are brands that are very kind of Instagram first, fashion first. But actually, I don't come from a fashion background. I know nothing about how the fashion industry really operates. And what I'm interested in is having a UK wide customer base. It feels good dressing oh. up and renting. So we've done a big shift, and hopefully it feels. Much more accessible, it's not just crazy fashion outfits. Got to, you can rent LK Bennett, Ghost London,
0: great brands too. Okay, now watch this space. So that's H U R R, her. So we've got a, um, Gareth, what is the secret? You work with some great clients, what's the secret to them delighting customers apart from hiring Roast?
4: <laughs> yeah, there's, um, there's such a range, isn't there? And I think everybody on the panel's mentioned it, it's your customers. I mean, we're Everyone who's ever worked with me will know I'm obsessed with graphs that go from bottom left to top right. Um, and we, we as a business, are quite pragmatic about customers. We see a lot of data. Um, you know, we we look at reviews, we look at what comes back in terms of conversion rates on a website, um, and that's where we see in numbers customers being happy with with the product. And and that's that's a mixture of the website, the product, how it's branded, etc. I think. That's always what's exciting about business is that momentum point. I think even Chew mentioned earlier, you're pivoting early on with a couple of things with Perkbox, but once you get that momentum, um, you, you start to enjoy it, the growth, the graphs going from bottom left to top right, and you need customers to do that, and you, you can see how much they like your product as much as you can ask them.
0: Right, so if you've got questions on this, thank you, Gareth, please fire them in now. They could be to all of the panel or to an individual. I suppose my question is... How does somebody watching today collaborate with their customer? Because in one universe, that is a boring set of surveys and, you know, dull focus groups. <laughs> and yet in another vision, probably in the Nordics, it's joyful and there are fireworks. Um, what do you think, Jay? Yeah, so good
2: question. I think um, the exciting thing is, especially with the demographic that we're working with with Gen Z, they're super open to trying new things, and they're uh. super open to actually engaging with brands. Because for a lot of our community, the th- the thing that's important to them is seeing what's going on behind the scenes of a brand. They want to understand how a brand thinks, and when a brand says, "Oh, we we truly care about being um, carbon carbon what's the word carbon neutral," and yeah. um, Gen Z go, "Do you actually really care? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Are we going to hear from the CEO telling us why they care? Is it just the thing that you're doing to, to try and um, seem seem relevant?" So I think it's brands can. Especially with Gen Z, Gen Z are waiting to have a conversation with brands. So brands um, are able to come to our community or just go to your direct audience. I always say this to any client that we don't work with. I say, hey, just jump onto Instagram and have a conversation with some of the folks that truly love your brand.
0: How Ask does a them. company harness ideas from its customers without being seen to rip them off?
2: Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, for us, we pay really, really well. So when you join our community, you get paid for every single insight you provide. Do um, Like what? How much? i'm definitely not telling you that <laughs> but,
0: you, but you pay you well that was not a very good insight so have 15 pounds how does it
2: work no so the way it works is um there's an there's an onboarding system so to come into the community you need to be vouched for by somebody that's ah. within the community and what that means is it makes sure that um firstly from a diversity perspective we, we continue to have a very diverse community we have now but it also means that we get super talented people ah. coming through and what happens is say for example if victoria and i are working together and victoria provides an insight and i and vouched for her to come in, but it's not a very good insight. Victoria will get a black mark on her name, but I will also get a black mark on mine. Oh dear, look so, out. Exactly. So you, so our consultants know this when they're signing up to the community or they're inviting someone in. So it's very much, I only want to invite
0: the best to come in, Goodness. simply for the fact that, that they reflect on me. Very interesting. So, so I would imagine that for Mintigo, you know, this could be rocket fuel for the future of the company, positive collaborations with customers. What do they look like in practice, and how do you make them happen? Sure, it's it's about. Um, so we have an account manager, really
5: good, uh, really good account manager that talks to them every day. Uh, you know, I think my advice is to really target two types of customers: those that love you and really understand why they love you, mm. and those that don't love you or not hate you, but you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. and understand what, what's going on, what's, what's how yeah. can we fix it. And I think being open and honest, uh, and also telling them that we're on a journey together. The financial health and well-being is a relatively new concept for a lot of uh, people and and employers don't know how to act around uh, the employees about that. So we have to kind of handhold them. But when they get it and see the value, an employee say, hey, look, you're changing my life. That's so rewarding as an
0: employer. And, And one of those interactions could seem quite one to one. Is there hazard or benefit in connecting your customers? No, not necessarily,
5: um, you know, when, when you say connecting as in letting them know the other customers and how they're dealing with yeah, it. Yeah, we'll that. say
0: rather than saying let's have this as a one-to-one, say why don't we get together and have a wider conversation. Because I think
5: for us, it's, it's the theme of financial health is such a broad theme yeah. and people are it in so many different ways and they say it's actually very helpful. So we, we've had a panel before where we talk about, okay, how do we solve this together? Right, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a bigger problem than one company or one, one, one group of people. It's,
1: it's, it impacts society.
0: And so, how, how's it cooked up at her then, Victoria? Are you sort of coming up with what you think people will want? Are they influencing the journey?
1: Yeah, I mean, we stay incredibly, incredibly close to our customer. Um, About 75% of our traffic and revenue actually comes directly from Instagram as a channel. Um, So um, we use that as a massive channel for for feedback. We think I I think probably every two to three weeks, we have a question box, which is very, very easy to put on an Instagram story where people can, and we we ask and we collaborate very frequently, what five fashion brands have you seen that you would like to see on her? And and we use that and we drive a lot of our decisions and our data from those conversations. And I think the second channel that I think is, often overlooked by businesses and i've seen a few smaller tech companies start to utilize it much more as whatsapp business chat so we have a whatsapp a her whatsapp channel and um, where we help people list their wardrobes but also the moment you get people on whatsapp they start giving you real valuable advice you know we all use whatsapp day in day out um, yeah. and i think that's a channel that's only going to explode um, in terms of keeping close to your customer
0: Be- because i think that you has got me thinking as have you victoria that we can all be very positive on some of these platforms mm-hmm. but you want to be listening to the haters in yeah. a sense They're the yeah. extremes as well yeah. but you probably don't want them sounding off about it on mm-hmm. on twitter i mean how do you how do you navigate this uh with taffet how, how are you doing it
3: well i mean we're quite fortunate in that we are white label so we yeah. do support our clients to deal with customer issues yeah. um, but I think it's just really important these days collaboration is just part of life and as oh. long as you're open and honest there's so many channels and ways to communicate with clients potential clients or even haters that you can do it in a way that that's elegant that gets you the information but makes people feel bought in and engaged.
0: Mm. Does, does anyone actively incentivize customers who fuel the innovation of, of the business other than say well thank you very much is, is there a way to do that too? um we're not in our line i think in our business we we don't need to really
5: because uh-huh. i think the, the the incentive is already there quite clearly that uh-huh. we we're, we're helping you solve a problem that you care about which is financial health and well-being of your team yeah and i think sharing knowledge and sharing how how people are, are developing their financial health is, is actually very valuable for them and they
0: naturally yeah. come forth and naturally rewarding yeah. uh, we're gonna get some questions uh from the audience but very briefly gareth how do you turn an agency into a sort of a beehive of cross-pollination because you can imagine the silo not at tp group where you go well i work on this client and that's the end of that so how do we get the creativity sparking across the whole gang
4: yeah that's um obviously a little bit more difficult without without a physical location to work from but um in principle it works by we we align people together in in teams that are client focused so they'll work on multiple clients together. Um, and then they go away as specialists as well and, um, and work on the, the specifics of their discipline. The other thing that we do at TP Group, which is slightly different is we have houses um, a bit a bit like Harry Potter, um, where you know people will compete against each other, each house competes weekly and bi-weekly. Um, and at the end of the year, we, we tot up the scores and the winning house gets, an, uh, everyone in the winning house gets an extra day's holiday for the next year. There's still quite a fierce competition. There's, there's a lot of passion goes into it. So a lot of cross-pollination of ideas comes from the fact that they collaborate naturally every single week. And I think that's true of any business really where you have silos is you don't really, you, Silos are important because they breed expertise, Um, but they're also, you know, it's worth breaking them to make sure that the entire team, the entire business is pointing in in a very similar direction.
0: So so slightly odd question for you then, Gareth, if someone's watching games, you know what? I don't feel my organization is particularly creative at the moment. Um, Forgive the slightly trite question, but how are we going to up that apart from get some more creative people in? Because we can all be creative, can't we?
4: Yeah. Creativity a lot of the time comes from the environment as well. I mean, I know a lot of businesses um, over, the, over a long, long period of time have done management away days, and just being away from the office is, is one way of, of making sure that people's minds are thinking more differently about the challenges in front of them. So that, that, that's one way of doing it. Um, it, is change the environment.
0: Interesting. So how do you all know What's basically a bit of a fad? Because you see all these shiny objects, don't you? I mean, I'm an absolute sucker. I used to call them sort of a corona squirrel over the last year, actually. And I'm like, oh, it's the next big thing. It must suddenly obsess me. Uh, of course, what I'm doing is wasting my time, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So, 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 how do I tell the difference? I mean, you're Jay, you're very on top of all this.
2: Oh, gosh. I knew you'd come to Um I think, I, I wouldn't say I'm, I, I was an expert on it, but there's, there's definitely, so there's a, there's a platform out there at the moment called Dispo. Dispo? Dispo, D-I-S-P-O. Um, and it's, it's like Instagram, but when you post something, um, it takes a day to, de- to develop before you can actually view it on the, on, on the platform. And I think, um, <laughs> in essence, it could be a great idea, but at the same time, there's the challenge of, um, of actually scaling that. Because oh. it's kind of after a while, people may m- may get bored of no, it. This,
0: this is good though. This is going to make us look very trendy. I like all <laughs> this. Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> and I think a lot of folks have commented on um, NFTs and um, NFTs. Oh gosh, here we go. So non-fungible um, non-fungible tokens. So it's basically uh, it's on non what non-fungible tokens. Fungible, yes, fungible. So it's on the it's on the blockchain. Oh. And say for example, um, if an artist. Um, is not making enough money from selling their music on Spotify. Yeah. They can sell their music via the blockchain directly to their customers and get and get millions for it straight from the customer and keep 100% of the sale. Um, so things like that, people say are fads, but I think truly that could be the, the
0: future for the creator economy. So you must be scanning all the time for this sort of thing, Jenny. How, how, how do we know what's the good one and how do we avoid the fungible bogeyman? <laughs> <laughs> I
2: think a good way to look at it is, is the things that you can see where there's um, almost no ceiling to it. It's, right.
0: um, it's the blue ocean strategy. So, and and J- Jenny, how about, how about this thing? Because you must be thinking in events, oh, right, is it a beacon? Is it Bluetooth? <laughs> he says 20 years out of date.
3: Yeah, it's, it's the joy of Gartner in the real world, isn't it? You yeah. know, what's going to be reality? Right. I think you have to hedge your bets. I'm a hedger, you know, you can see the art of the possible and you know that somebody's gonna win in each of these markets, but it's understanding who is gonna be that winner. And it's not normally the first to market, is it? It's normally that cheeky second or the hungry third. You know, those are the people that are gonna properly do it. So I think it's about understanding the concept, understanding the people in the market, and then making sure that you're just seeing all the nuances probably put your money on the third or second.
0: OK, I've been going in for hungry thirds for years. Victoria, <laughs> um, hedging is all very well, but ultimately you have to make some choices. Um, to what extent do you distribute yourself across lots of platforms, the way you're building, what you're doing? How do you not get distracted and how do you get a sense of what's going to be big?
1: Yeah, it's difficult. Um, I think my personal opinion is rather tr- than trying to do everything badly and averagely, pick one and do it well. So we picked Instagram as our main kind of social channel. Right. Um, and then I kind of live by a rule of thumb that probably runs uh, wider than just uh, fashion rental that whatever is big in the States uh, hits the, the UK five years later. And I think TikTok is a classic example of that. Mm. I think people really underestimate the power of TikTok and where the future is given that we are a Gen Z and a millennial user base. But even older than that, I see lots of, lots of people of all different age groups trying to get get TikTok right and some big, big fashion brands out there, the fetchers and the supporters of the world who are now trying to navigate that as well. So mm. I think you, you can't afford as a startup mm. to, to, to not try all of these things. Clubhouse is another great example. Everyone's talking about Clubhouse. Is it going to survive? Is it going to thrive? Mm. Because it's hot over lockdown. Um, and, and for me, I think you have to try them all. You have to do a Clubhouse talk and you have to do a TikTok video and you can't really uh, have the luxury of just you know assuming that they might not work out. You've got to be part of that conversation, otherwise you miss out.
0: So, so on that, that's a fascinating 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 thought, isn't it? Like trade winds, but for trends almost. So, Chu, where are you looking for the next big thing? Because actually, good old Britain, we can be ahead of the curve on e-commerce, for example, ahead of our American cousins. Well, I think, obviously, in my line of work, it's, you know, I
5: think the Brits are very advanced in the the whole financial space, uh, Uh I think more so than Americans in terms of the payment. Um, I think in terms of getting really into um, the future of pensions and and really disrupting that, that for me is a huge area of innovation Mm -hmm. that can make people think differently about their money. Mm -hmm. It's a a huge area. And I think using social, like really getting people, influencers to talk about money and the way that connects with the Gen Z Mm -hmm. and the millennial group is actually really powerful. but yeah, merging money with the, like the, uh, society and social uh,
0: is really important. And, and, and how about you, Gareth, when you, when you think, you know, let's get some real inspiration when it comes to how to innovate, particularly involving customers, who do you start gazing at? Um. Well, yeah, we, we, we do tend to look at the market
4: leaders and, and the ones that are making the most noise. So you, you I think we all mentioned Gymshark um, earlier, and you, you can always look at them as being a brand that understands youth well, understands emerging channels well, and you can take some inspiration from that. Um, but, you know, we, we look at all digital channels and we also look very carefully at whether or not you know the, our clients' audiences are realistically there at all, whether the format works for those brands. So there's lots of things that we throw in to kind of sense check the the innovation that we're seeing but yeah we're we're always looking at anything that's new and trying to work out how good could this be what what sort of data do we think we're going to get out of it so
0: so jay's got me feeling at least 10 years younger today gareth is there anything i should be looking at that you're spotting because this would be good
4: um I think uh, there's nothing that I would uh, bring to the table that hasn't already been talked about. I certainly think TikTok, um, I agree, is is a strong platform for a lot of brands, not all. I mean, we work with, uh, for example, uh, insurance brands and and brands where you can check your credit score. They're they're, unless they have a particularly creative campaign that people want to interact with, their their products are probably not going to lend themselves well to to those sorts of platforms, Clubhouse as well. Um, for a lot of brands, especially ones that have products where people want to talk about them and want to listen to people talk about them. That makes sense. Um, so maybe Clubhouse actually might be better for financial products than, than TikTok.
0: Yeah, interesting. Clubhouse is on the panel. Are we clubhouse in Victoria? We are, yeah. yes. Oh, you are? All? all right, yeah, we should do this. <laughs> <laughs> Ask Hannah Previtt about clubhouse. I've seen her in and out of the rooms. Don't you worry about that. Uh, I wish we had a bit longer. We do have a bit longer, but I tell you what, it's, it's a bit of a speedy chapter this, so I think it's going to be quite quick fire. So uh, uh, I've really, I hope you've enjoyed that. Yeah, exactly. I thoroughly enjoyed that. And I know that our, uh, uh, our viewer will want to hear more from you individually. But for now, uh, to uh, to, you, uh, to Victoria, uh, to Jay and, of course, to Jenny. Welcome back as well. It's so lovely to see you again. Thank you all very much indeed. Please make your way to see Hannah backstage. Thank you. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Fab. Gosh, well, my mind is uh, buzzing still. Was it Dispo or Daspo? I need to go and ask Jay a little bit later, but making their way backstage to Hannah. Just one quick note. After this, 12.05 on the dot, beaming in Charlie Mullins, founder of Pimlico Plumbers. No job, no jab, no jab, no job. He will be with us and we'll be talking all things talent, global talent. But for now, straight back to Hannah Previtt, who's waiting backstage.
6: Thank you, Ollie, another fantastic panel there. And I don't know about making you feel younger, it actually made me feel much older than I am. So I look forward to quizzing Jay some more on Gen Zedders. Um, I would like to uh, invite Jenny to come and join me first. Hi Jenny, Um, some great comments and reflections there. I would like to grill you a little bit about the events industry and how well you think or not the government has supported the events industry throughout the pandemic. I think it's just been an incredibly
3: challenging time for everyone in the events industry. Uh, There's been some really interesting funding opportunities coming through and support and some people have have been um, significantly supported through it. Um, What we're seeing now is the whole question around insurance and festivals. Um, I know that there's a lot of lobbying going on to make sure that um, the festivals have got the insurance that they need to make sure they go ahead. Obviously, as, as someone passionate about events, I don't, I don't think people have been supported as much as they could have been, but I also understand there's been a hell of a lot of people needing help across the country and across the world, so, you know, um, it's, it's difficult.
6: I know, I guess there was always going to be someone that, you know, some industries that slipped through the cracks, yes. as it were, and it certainly seems that events has borne a lot of the brunt there yes um so what events are you looking forward to getting back out to oh, you when you can just just so many just the thought of even getting into a club would be
3: absolutely amazing um, a nightclub I, I know can you imagine <laughs> I, I can't get my head around it so you know personally i'd love to get back to ibiza and be able to get back into sunshine as well and um, there's some great festivals coming back this season so i'm looking forward to just being able to smell hot dogs, really, in the air, that would just be an amazing thing. So, yeah, can't wait.
6: Well, fingers crossed. And yeah. this feels like a first step, right? Us all I being know. here in person, I how know. exciting. It's amazing. Putting on grown-up clothes and shoes, etc. I haven't I draw the line at the shoes, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much for joining oh, me today. We are you please for time, but thank you for being so generous with your reflections. Oh, it's, it's been great to be here. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jenny. Thank, thank you. Uh, next, Jay, if I could invite you to come up. Hello, Jay. Hey, how are you? I'm very well, thanks. How are good. you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Good. Um, so I would like to hear a bit more about Gen Z. So what are some of the misconceptions? With millennials, we have the avocado on toast myth. Yeah. Uh, what are some of the big myths we have around Gen Zers? And can you debunk some of those for us?
2: Yeah, I think um, one of the key ones that I always hear is that they're lazy. Um, and what we found is, is that actually they love to do side hustles. They love to, to have the full time job, but also to be building great things on the side. So I think the the concept of the older generations, even millennials, there's been this bit of a beef recently between millennials and Gen Z that actually was made up by the Daily Mail. But anyway, that's another story. Like um, most things
6: by the Daily Mail. <laughs>
2: exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but one of the interesting things is that Gen Z, they just, they just love to graft. They want to just create cool things with cool people. So they're definitely co creators, which is really, really cool. I
6: like that. And it also shows, I think, that perhaps. That generation are more about doing their own thing, right? Rather than going working for an investment bank for 40 years.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I think that a lot of them are actually striving for um, security. So they do actually want the full time job that can pay the bills, but on the side, they're very much about following their passion. Similar to millennials, but millennials were like, oh, I want to be the CEO. I want to be the founder. With them, they just want to create cool things with cool people, and they don't really mind who gets the credit.
6: Mm-hmm. So for brands, you know, anybody in a brand watching this, so your clients, how do they turn a Gen Z? not just from a customer, but to a fan, you know, being really kind of evangelical about what it is they're doing.
2: Yeah, great. I think there's been a big push away from direct marketing back to brand marketing. So storytelling, really engaging with your consumer and understanding what they want to see from you as a brand, because everything's different. What they want to see from Nike is wildly different to what they want to see from Gymshark. So it's a brand understanding, what do our consumers care about, engaging with them in that conversation, and then telling beautiful stories about that and about your brand. And I think there's, there's so much power in that, and that's what will show the the long-lasting brands from the from the ones that will be fly-by-nights.
6: Mm-hmm. That is so, that's such a good, um, really important reflection, I think, for our audience. Thank you very much Thank for your time, Jay. And in fact, I think, thinking about storytelling of course that's kind of what we do as journalists right so it's all about you know finding what your story is what your truth is and then you know kind of telling journalists about it so they can distribute that to the world. Um, Victoria do you come and join me up here hello Hello. Hi. you do look splendid although I'm not sure <laughs> if we're a little bit too colourful here in our in our red and um, <laughs> <laughs> orange where is your dress from? It's from a re- re- brand called Regina Fio. Okay it is very very beautiful indeed so can you tell me a little bit about the start? journey for you so how many years into her are you? Of course
1: so I am three and a half years in um, I co-founded her because I am a millennial myself Um, I rented my house I rented my car and I'd looked at the boom and the massive rise in sharing economy platforms and I genuinely believed that they were the next big thing and I thought we can rent everything we can rent our houses um, we can rent our cars why would we not rent our wardrobes and the more I looked into sustainability and sustainable fashion the more convinced I was that there was a massive problem around consumption that I wanted to try and
6: address. Mm -hmm. Because that's the thing here it's driven by that mission it's not just about having beautiful clothes having a bit of variety in our wardrobes it's also around that piece of not going out and buying a new dress every time you know you need to come to an event like this one
1: yeah you're completely right we live in a social media generation first generation where people consider outfits to be uh, used or old when they've been worn two or three times which is a crazy statistic so we're all about trying to redefine newness and whether you can rent this dress or another dress on her and you still get that dopamine hit of unboxing and wearing something new but with without the actual um, economic uh, ability to own it, um, and you can just access it instead.
6: It's that classic, you know, in the, again, the Daily Mail, when they talk about Kate Middleton, and they're like, she's recycling that dress because she's been seen in public wearing it once before.
1: Yeah, and it it... should be a normal.
6: Exactly, it's exactly that mindset. Well, I will definitely be signing up, although I might be slightly too old for your Don't don't be silly, we have
1: some beautiful dresses just like that.
6: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much for your time today. Thank you for having me. Thank you, thank you, goodbye. And last but not least, hello your third time uh in the spotlight today so i won't keep you for too long obviously you're a serial entrepreneur which i find fascinating so as a journalist i recently wrote a piece for the times all about serial entrepreneurship and whether it gets harder or easier each time which i think is a really interesting question in and of itself so just quickly what would you say is the most important lesson you learned first time round that you were able to apply to your second business
5: it's, uh, well, it's, it's never easy. I think that's part of the thing. So let's, uh, I don't think you should overcompensate what you have success that you built and the skills you uh built in the, in the, in the, in the before with what you have now, because there's lots of new things that you have to kind of uh, you know, learn again, and also the markets are very different, and the team is a bit different. So the things that created success before, you just can't assume you can replicate right away. So it is a lot about just relearning a lot of the skills. Some of the core skills like management, yes, I, could, I can use that. But in terms of developing the product, understand product market fit, you know, going, going out to the market, those are all different and they're all new. I think so, so, you almost have to temper your expectations. What can you carry across? And that's management, interacting with people, you know, being a leader, uh, it's very transferable, but everything else you just have to accept it. it's, it's new.
6: I'm thinking a bit more deeply about kind of management, and obviously we don't have loads of time. But you know, it seems to me that most entrepreneurs or lots of entrepreneurs might be first-time mm. managers, right? And it's one of those things: do you learn it on the job or do you read books? Do you how do you learn to become a manager when you're running a startup for the first time?
5: Just uh, find people you can trust and talk to them. I think that's the key thing. That's probably the fastest thing. Some people read books, and you know, that's that's good as well. But nothing beats just having really precise questions being asked to people around you that you trust. Say, look, I have this one particular issue. How should I address it? I think that's the key thing. And, and I think the more you ask, hopefully the more you get back. And ask a little from a lot of people versus the other way around.
6: Yeah, that's a great piece of advice. I heard that one earlier. So, um, and in terms of kind of the business owners themselves, how much should you be getting involved in the day to day management? Or is that something that you can outsource so that you can really focus on the kind of strategy of, and, and the growth of the business?
5: It's about, it's about delegating what you're not good at and bringing in those people so you can focus on what you're good at. For me, it's about, uh, right now, Mintico is a small team. Um so we're involved with everything and that's that's the beauty of of, of that stage it's like the, we because we're all very involved, we can create new opportunities and pivot and change and we want to be all involved. So it's too small for delegation but as you get bigger, absolutely. You gotta focus on the strategy because getting involved in the degrees versus and, and being at the strategy level it's actually really complicated as you get to like perk box stage.
6: Mhm. Okay, some really great advice there. One quick one. Who was would you say was the most important first hire this time round?
5: Uh, well it's which I say our head of product and uh, operations, so patty because he she was instrumental in just building things and getting things to work and almost the opposite of me meaning I'm more the blue sky thinker and and actually you know getting the ideas in but Execution is so important, right? So you need the right people, but mm-hmm. also, you know, Daniel uh, as well as our CFO, uh, the number side of things. I need help with as well. So yeah, definitely a core team. Now we have, you know, we have uh, uh, Claire and Terry as well to join. But that's really us right now. And obviously, we're going to hire more people, but when you're at that stage it's, it's so important you have the right people mm-hmm. you know missionaries not mercenaries i'd say
6: absolutely well it goes back to what you're saying earlier about you know kind of complementary skill sets and it's a theme we've heard a lot about here about you know kind of complementary skills plugging the gaps where there are those thank you very much thank for you. your time today that's been extraordinary so thank that you. was Chu chow there um with his final tips and words of wisdom for you